I always make an entrance like that, just uh, a rumble coming in. This morning we're in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, as we uh, continue our series in my favorite Proverbs. If you have been reading Proverbs, uh, I want to give each of you a big gold star for that, and I hope you continue. There's so much to be gained from the book of Proverbs. If you haven't been reading in the book of Proverbs, I'll... um, promise you a gold star if you start reading. It's uh, wonderful to read the Proverbs. It's always encouraging. There's always something for your day, for your life, and for your outlook on the Lord in your life. So encourage you to do a little reading. You can read a chapter a day because there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and that covers all the days of the month. So That's something to be thinking about. This morning, as I said, we're in chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 in particular, and so I'd like to read those to us. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated Discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. This is all about regret. The proverb is looking back over life. And it's from the point at which you're at the end of your life. You're in your own end times. And by the way, we are in the end times. We've been in the end times since Jesus taught us we live in the end times. Since Jesus came, went to the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, we live in the end times. That means we need to be on our toes We need to live expectantly. We need to live dependently upon the Lord. The end times are not established by circumstances. They're established by the Lord himself. And that means we don't get to depend on circumstances to respond to the fact that we live in the end times. We live in the end times whether we're 20, 30, 40, 50, or older. The end of days is just a point at your life when you look back over times that should be lived as though they're in the end times each and every day. That makes every day the last day of the rest of your life. That makes every day important. That gives meaning to every day. Not just special days or coming days or days that have to do with the color of the moon every day. Because Jesus is Lord. So when we talk here about being in the last days, that's when we've had the good fortune of growing old. 
and our strength is turning to weakness. And what was timber is becoming more like a toothpick. And he regrets. Do you have regrets? In general, regret is the emotion of wishing we had made a different decision in the past because the result of our decision was not favorable. Regret is related to what we view as an opportunity we either ignored or mishandled. It's what we call a missed opportunity. And we often regret missed opportunities. And in the Lord, and for the wise person, every opportunity should be taken full advantage of. Every opportunity is filled with opportunity. Real examples uh, of opportunity missed or regret uh, have been collected from a palliative care nurse. A palliative care nurse is someone who takes care of people who are very near death. And this palliative care nurse, Bronnie Ware, Bronnie Ware, posted regrets of the dying. And I want to give just a few of the anecdotal remarks that she has collected from people looking back over their lives as they actually draw near. They know that death is just not somewhere down the road or even around the corner. It's knocking at the door. So here are five of them. I wish, notice the word wish, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had let myself be happier. Speaking of happier, did any of you see um, America's Got Talent this last week? Neither did I. <laughs> but I heard about a contestant, Jane Marcheski, and Jane was on America's Got Talent, and if, you, if you've never seen this show, after you display your talent, the judges decide whether they're going to give you a yes, and if you get enough yeses, you graduate to the next level. And Jane Marcheski, who goes by the name Songbird, Nightbird, excuse me, Nightbird, she came out and introduced herself, and they asked her what she's been doing. And she said, 
on the spot, I've been, actually, I've, I've been fighting cancer the last few years. I, I still have cancer in my body, in my liver, in my spine. She mentioned another place. She said um, that she has a 2% chance to live. And she sang this beautiful song, and uh, the grumpy judge, I can't think of his name. Anyway, he was so moved, they were all moved to tears by this young lady, her positive outlook in the face of what most of us would depress us. And she had in this beautiful song, which she herself had written called, It's Okay, Uh, She had all the judges crying, and it was completely silent after she stopped singing. And then she broke the silence, and she said, it's okay. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. I thought that was very, very wise. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. That's wisdom. That's the quality of having experience and good judgment. But experience has nothing to teach us, as important as it is, experience has nothing to teach us if we're not teachable. And that's what this person regrets in the proverb. Proverb in chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. This person regrets that they were not teachable. Because when you're teachable, you're on the path to wisdom. You're going to be taught by your experience as well as by the Lord. It's the person with a teachable spirit that gets wisdom. And that's what Proverbs is all about, to get wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Where do you begin? Well, Proverbs tells us in chapter 1, verse 7, after the superscription, the opening, and a brief introduction through verse 6, then in verse 7, it tells us how to get wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and then it says, fools despise knowledge and wisdom. In other words, the whole enterprise is about getting wisdom, and wisdom is found when we pursue the Lord, when we fear Him, when we're aware of Him, when we can be taught by Him. I like to think of it as a compass, and I've done a lot of trekking in my years, and I always take a compass with me, even though we have... uh, devices and electronics and so many more advanced sort of things. But a compass really is important if you get lost. Few of us need a compass. Few of us use compasses. You probably have a compass on your phone. But since you have GPS, who needs a compass? But if some of you have ever seen a compass or you could talk to your grandpapa about what a compass is, a compass is a dial with an arrow 
that always points to true north. So wherever you are holding that compass, even if you're facing the opposite direction of the arrow, the arrow is always going to point to true north. So you'll always know where north is. Now, I'm not going to belabor this illustration, but if you can always know where north is, true north, then you can generally find your way back to civilization and home sweet home. But what if our compass, just figuratively, we had a compass in our heart and we could use that compass to always make us aware of where we were in relation to God? What if God wasn't confined and imprisoned on Sunday? Nor Monday, Tuesday, but every day of the week and throughout the day we were aware of God and knew where our true north was. And we were constantly orienting ourselves. Where am I in relation to the Lord right now? Am I moving toward true north? That is what it means to fear the Lord. The fear, whatever, whatever you fear gets high priority. If you're afraid of something, you'll be anxious, you'll be frustrated, you'll be depressed, but it will have your attention. Fear will grab you. But if we sense that God wants us to fear him in a positive, constructive sense, that he is first and primary in our lives, that we're always oriented to him, always aware of him, always pinging, just like radar on a ship that navigates blind, but can see through the wonder of that navigation device. So it is with the Lord in our lives. If the Lord's an afterthought, or at the end of the trail and not at the beginning, then we'll never know the true wisdom that we're offered in the book of Proverbs and in our relationship with God. And our lives will be lives of regret. And that's what this message is all about. So what's missing? A teachable spirit. We need to develop, to cultivate. We need to have a teachable spirit. When I was a a young man and got my life straight with the Lord and felt that call to ministry and really had direction and focus and purpose in my life and I was dedicated to getting from A to Z and here to there. I listened and became much more teachable. I was aware that all of these things were a part of the makeup of what God was doing in my life. We had an acronym that is uh, a word which each letter of the word stands for another word. So the word is fat, fat, F-A-T, faithful, available, and teachable. But it's teachable to my mind that is most important. Some of you may remember a great coach. ESPN says John Wooden is the greatest coach of all time. He is the first induct, 
inductee to the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player and a coach. And as a coach, and as I said, ESPN has gauged, uh, credited him, claimed that he is the best coach of all time, and that includes every sport. He was for some, I think it was over 40 years, the coach of UCLA and won 10 national championships as a head coach. One of the things that was so powerful about John Wooden and made him a coach of people be off the basketball court was that he, he developed people. He developed people. And he himself was very teachable. Wooden said, if I am through learning, I'm through. If I'm through learning, I'm through. I feel very young. It's because of learning. I learn something every day. Most days I learn a lot but I learn something every day. But it isn't all from books, it's from people. It's from everything that you touch and feel. It's a perspective on life. It's a way of navigating in which you become wiser and wiser and wiser in the way you navigate because you navigate to true north. The Lord is your orientation, the Lord is your pilot. And you're learning more and more about life because you're teachable, very teachable. Get wisdom. You won't regret it. It will, we will though, if we hate instruction. We will if we hate instruction. Hate's a very strong word, but it really means to detest or oppose so we don't want to oppose, <coughs> excuse me, we don't want to oppose what is good for us. This is not a new problem. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again and again, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus, we can claim he's a wise man. We can claim his words have life. We can claim he is the Lord of life. But if we don't listen to him, it does us no good. Or we can say, I'll listen to him, but I'm only going to listen to him once in a great while. This is not the person that is wise speaking when we speak like that. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, the very opening of the writing of Proverbs, and at verse 8, hear, hear, do not despise, do not reject my words. Hear. That's crucial, and it's the crux of verse 12 in chapter 5. And it's also crucial and the crux of our attitude, we are to have a teachable attitude if we would be wise and avoid regret. Why do we oppose instruction? 
Well, it's a kind of a pride problem. A pride problem. And I would say, from what I've observed as a person who's lived a little life and kind of kept his eye on what's going on in our nation, I would observe that we have a pride problem as a nation and as a people. And I would, I would say that I could prove to you that we have a pride problem because it is manifest symptomatically that we have an authority problem. And an authority problem is a pride problem. Why do you think in the last months, in 2020, the word science was invoked so much? Science says, listen to science, 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 science. Because it's an authority. One of the few that we have left. One of the few that we can respect because the whole nature of science, it's, it's a, an evidential undertaking. Science is all about facts and data. Of course, the interpreters of the data can be wrong, but the science, the method of the science can be quite authoritative. But we don't trust anyone else, so that's why we invoke science. We don't trust the Word of God anymore as a nation, so that's why we invoke science. And why is it that everybody has a platform, everybody has a microphone, everybody has a spotlight? Because of pride and likes. I don't have to listen to you. I have my own microphone. I have my own platform. I have you know, my own stage and my own spotlight. And I can scream from my platform and get people to like and listen and agree and support me. So really, everybody's an authority, you see. And in the church, that's really a problem. Not because I want you to listen so much to me, but I want you to listen to the Lord. And the church is not doing that. It's listening to its own pet authorities, but it's not really listening to the Lord. If we're to be teachable, we have to pick out who our authorities are. And that's really a good question for you to ponder this day and this week. Who is an authority in your life? Who are you willing to listen to that you might be teachable? Because we will not be wise if we're not willing to listen to the Lord. My pastor, Bill Yeager, and I remember him saying this when I was very new and 
I didn't even know him personally, and he probably didn't even know me at that point. But in a sermon, he said, if you have a problem with an authority, If you have a problem with authority, you have a problem with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is an issue that each one of us has to settle for ourselves. Not for me. It's not up to me. But it is to you. And these things become a sham if we don't anchor our hearts in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I would argue he deserves that place of authority. But when he has authority like that, it humbles us and makes us more teachable and more open to others and willing to listen and willing to become wise. Teachable is another word for humility. Proverbs 18.12 says, humility brings honor. So that's good. That's an incentive. We, We all want this kind of fake honor through social media, getting likes, getting praise, getting a, hey, you're okay, I'm with you. Because that's where we look to crowdsource our authority. We want to bolster what we believe. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will. What is God's will? It's what pleases him. But what pleases him has to do with the heart of God. God has revealed his heart in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, I can trust God's heart. I can trust his will. And what pleases him can please me. And it can please you too. Teach me to do your will or what pleases you. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 25, 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? Remember I said wisdom really gets going. We never outgrow it. We never leave it behind. But the entrance to the way of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So, who is it then who fears the Lord? And the answer from Psalm 25, 12 comes, He will instruct them. The Lord will instruct them in the ways they should choose. So how do you identify the one who fears the Lord? You can see God in that person because God's leading that person's life. So get wisdom. You won't regret it. But we will if we hate instruction. Get wisdom. You won't regret it, but we will if we spurn correction. Nobody likes to be corrected, and I am not excluded. That was the hardest thing about becoming a pastor. How many people want to correct you? I didn't realize. I I I was never trained for that. 
Everybody wants to set you straight. Everybody's got the answer. And I had to listen to every one of them. Because do you know what would happen if I did not listen to them? They go and talk among themselves. Yeah. They talk to each other about how wrong the pastor is and and how to correct the pastor, you know. So I had to do a kind of an intense, uh, yeah, an intense study of my heart as, as a pastor. And I had to realize, well, notice in this verse, at verse 12, the second part, do you see it in your Bible there? Notice the word heart, how that shows up. We didn't see that in the first line, but there it is, the heart. The heart that spurns, the heart that despises reproof or correction or criticism. No one likes to be criticized. But you know what? When it says the heart, we, we talked about the heart last Sunday, and the heart has to do with how we think about things. Our thought life. And so I put my thought life to work, and I realized that I could learn from criticism. And that the people that were criticizing me were the people that I had to shepherd. They didn't choose me. God called me. Well, they did choose me, but I didn't want to let them down. And so I learned that that I always need to make criticism welcome. I need to welcome it. And I need to listen to it. And I need to understand not just what I'm doing wrong, but what's the source of the criticism and what is the need that needs to be met. Because there's often a need that isn't being met in criticism. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, how is it that You see this little splinter in your brother's eye that you want to remove. That's a really good thing that you remove that splinter. But how is it you can see that little splinter and you don't see this big log in your own eye? How can you, with a log in your own eye, remove that little splinter? So first, get that log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see how to remove that splinter. That'll make us wise if we do that sort of thing. Because often faults are unmet needs. Somebody, a sandpaper person in your life, somebody with faults, you know, social media says, leave those people in the dust. Leave them in your rearview mirror. But you know, people with faults have needs that are expressing in themselves, unmet needs that are expressing themselves in faults. And we're not ministering to them. We don't care about people that much because it's hard work. And we're trying to find happiness in a, sensa- in a cessation of hardship. Nobody likes reproof, but Chapter 9, verse 8 of Proverbs says, Reprove the wise and they will love you. 
Verse 9 of chapter 9 says, Instruct the wise, and they will become wiser. And chapter 15, verse 12, and these are just a few. A scoffer doesn't like to be reproved. That's why he avoids the wise. And chapter 12, verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is an idiot. Well, doesn't say that. I was, that was just a, a good translation. Stupid is the word. The person who hates reproof is just plain stupid or foolish. Nightbird has a 2% chance of survival. And she said, hey, 2% is better than no percent. I did some research on her. She's a follower of Christ. A graduate of Liberty University. I'm sure that must have something to do with it. Do you know that yesterday was Anne Frank's birthday? How many of you know who Anne Frank is? Anne Frank was a young young woman who... um, was Jewish, and during the Nazi regime in World War II, she was taken captive along with her family, and uh, she died in Bergen-Belsen, a concentration camp. And yesterday was her birthday. She would have been 92, 92. Do you know why we know Anne Frank? I learned about her in school. And I remember as a young boy being so sad. I did not understand how anybody could do that to another person. I was inconsolable. Mom tried to explain it and love on me, but I I really took that to heart. A young girl right around my age. And I got her diary. That's how we know about her. Somebody saved her diary and it was published. And you can read it. You can read her words. You can read her heart. You can read about her experiences facing death, facing captivity, capture, and who knows what kind of death. And from her diary, This is what she says, because it has to do with regret. Dead people receive more flowers than living ones. Because human regret is stronger than gratitude. What a wise woman she was. We can be wise too if we'll be teachable, if we'll get wisdom. You won't regret it.
Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We can't stop giving thanks. We can't stop wanting, desiring, and standing in your love shown to us through Jesus Christ and witnessed. Yes, Lord, you bear witness to your love for us through your Holy Spirit that indwells us. What a compass we have. What a new life we lead because of Jesus. And we praise you and thank you and we offer this praise in prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.